Welcome to the Doggy Dojo. I'm your host, Susan Light, a Los Angeles-based dog trainer on a quest to become worthy of the title Sensei of the Doggy Dojo. Today, we're talking about something most pet parents want help with, training recall. That just means your dog comes when you call them. And as you know, I'm here to tell you, you can train it force-free. My guest today is a multi-species force-free crossover trainer, certified trick dog instructor, triple crown coach, and a force-free content creator. She is currently working through her DNDTC, which is a force-free dog training distinction with Dognostics. She is also a full-time reptile breeder and stays busy looking after her many personal pets on her and her husband's farm in Northern Ontario, Canada. After discovering trick titles, she quickly worked her way up to grand champion with both of her dogs. She went on to earn an expert trick title with her cat and became the first person in the world to earn a trick title with a hedgehog, gradually making the crossover from balanced to force-free training after rescuing a pit bull named Daisy. It's become her mission to show others the amazing things that can be accomplished through positive reinforcement, force-free training. Please welcome Holly Boys. Welcome to the podcast, Holly. Thank you for having me. Yay. So I'm excited to talk about recall. Yeah, it's it's the life-saving cue for sure. But why is it so difficult? Like people, I had one client say, well, she comes sometimes when she wants to. She has to come every time. But mm-hmm. I mean, that's a super normal part of the arc of their recall, right? Like coming sometimes. Yeah, I think um, there's so much to compete with when we talk about recalling our dog. Um, And sometimes it's hard to find the right combination of things that is actually going to compete with whatever the dog is occupying itself with at that time. Um, I don't think it has to be as much of a struggle as it is for some people if we're really methodic in the way that we teach it. But we do have to allow for natural, you know, dips and stuff in uh, latency, especially if we're dealing like with adolescents, for example, Um, there's going to be highs and lows. You're going to have good days and bad days, but I still think we can fall back on a really methodic approach that's going to give us and our dog a lot more success. It doesn't have to be as much of a struggle. I think um, a lot of the times we're the ones that are struggling. Um, We're kind of failing to break it up into small enough steps so that our dog knows it really well and knows it really well in a broad variety of contexts. Yeah. Because recalling off of their toy isn't necessarily going to be the same thing as recalling off of their friend or recalling off a piece of food or recalling when you have company. Like all of these contexts are almost different skills in and of themselves. Absolutely. Recalling from a hundred feet away at the beach. So yeah, yeah, huge for sure. I also think it's like, we just expect it too soon. We just expect, oh, they know what that means so that they'll do it in every context. And that's true of any skill, but I think it's really apparent in recall. Yeah. People tend to expect their dog to generalize it long before it's actually realistic to expect them to generalize it. And, you know, we can't be upset for a dog not performing a behavior we haven't taught them to perform reliably. So absolutely, it's uh, in your house or in your yard with no other dogs around. It's just a totally different thing than even at the beach, like you mentioned, 
um, if there's another dog around, whatever. Yeah, totally. Uh, and it's also, I'm sorry to say, one of the ways that balanced trainers sell their owners on using shock mm-hmm. collars a lot. They say the only way we can be sure your dog will come back is if we put a shock collar on them and then they can be off leash and have all the freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about that. Can we teach a reliable recall force free? Absolutely. Um, again, we have to be methodic about it because we're not actually going to be relying on a device around our dog's neck that, you know, we've got the remote control and we can just you know, give that a pop and that's going to work or whatever. Um, we have to have a really thorough, solid training plan. Um, I think if we train with minimal errors, it has multiple benefits. Um, because if you're, if you're going to be recalling your dog in scenarios where they're not likely to be successful, the dog's just going to be rehearsing, ignoring you. (laughs) So, Mm -hmm. um, if we can train with minimal errors and like slice it up really small into little tiny steps, there's going to be less confusion and less frustration from your dog. Um, and I think a lot of people abandon the use of management too early, which is like long lines, leashes, things like that. Um, so I think some of the appeal of a shock collar would be people imagine that it's going to work really quickly and it might work really quickly, but it's, it's not going to be without fallout. So I've been able to teach like multiple species, really reliable recalls, all force free. And I mean, I'm, I'm coming from a background where it's, I used to train with aversives and punishment. Like I was a balanced trainer and the animals I have now by far have way more reliable recalls and they're happier to recall than any animal I've had in the past. So I can definitely say firsthand, we absolutely can teach it force free. And I think we should teach it force free because we want our animals to be happy to carry out that cue, not afraid of what's going to happen if they don't. Yeah. And just like uh, Skinner says is that punishment doesn't, it doesn't really modify behavior except avoiding punishment. Yeah. You just kind of get better at evading the punishment really. And dogs can learn really quickly. In a recall situation, that could mean running the other way. Yeah, exactly. Like away from the button. Yeah. And I mean, let's not pretend that there's dogs that like there's dogs that are going to run through that shock collar anyway. Yeah. It's there, there is no recall that is going to be a hundred percent reliable a hundred percent of the time. Sorry to say like they're not robots. A hundred percent of the situations. Exactly. So, I mean, we can, we can train for the best. We can try and train for perfection, but I mean, there's no such thing as a perfect dog. There's no such thing as a perfect handler and there's so many different scenarios. So I, I really don't feel you're any safer with an e-collar. Um, I see the appeal, the way that it's being sold. Um, but a lot of the fallout is kind of being left out of those conversations. You're just kind of being told, you know, do this because you want to save your dog's life. You want to make sure your dog doesn't run into traffic. But again, I mean, dogs blast through boundary collars all the time. Dogs blast yeah. through e-collars all the time. So I would rather have yeah. my animals come back to me um, to earn something they like rather than be afraid to not listen to me. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think it's, I think of it as more like you're kind of making yourself a magnet for your animals. They're going to, you're drawing them to you. And that's something that like, if if it were me personally, I know I would react a lot better (laughs) if it was something I wanted to go to rather than being afraid 
to select the wrong yeah. answer, you know, so I'm afraid to do the wrong thing. I want to be motivated to do the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. So what is, could you briefly, because I know, you know, we could talk about all the ins and outs and every step, but just a brief overview of what that methodical teaching recall looks like. Like, do you start, for instance, I start with touch mm-hmm. and I then use touch as my recall cue. Um, some people start with like the whiplash head turn, um, there's lots of different ways to go about it, but, mm-hmm. uh, what do you, what's your methodical method that you like to go through the steps of? I like to teach what I call a two part recall. And so the first part of that is going to be capturing the animal's attention. And then the second mm-hmm. part is the actual recall where they're going to start moving towards you. And mm-hmm. so I just begin by pairing their name with food. So it's going to be like, mm-hmm. Ripley treat, Ripley treat, Ripley treat, Ripley treat until you start to see that when you say the name, you've got that attention happening and you're going to start in really close proximity. Um, Once you see that their name is like eliciting that response where they're like, oh, they're expecting that treat. You can start adding a little bit of distance, Um, but you're still going to be like working in a calm and quiet area, like a, a room in your home to do this. Um, when you see that is really reliable, as soon as you say the name, they're going to turn their head around and orient towards you. You can start saying the name with a little bit of distance between you and the dog. And then what that does, mm-hmm. you're going to say, you know, you're say you're 10 feet across the room. You're going to say Ripley. She's going to turn her head. She's going to start moving towards you anyway, because she knows that she's about to get a treat because you've continually paired her name with the treat. So mm-hmm. at that point, that's when I add my cue. That's when I start to say Ripley and then come. And so when they're already on their way, they're right? already on their way. So you're kind of, it's almost like you're classically conditioning that part of the cue because you're just going to be saying it as they're already doing it. So, yeah. and I find the benefits of doing it this way um, from there, of course, you would thoroughly proof to a variety of different contexts and, and environments once you've got that solid response. But what I tell people when we're going through this is like, I want you to be 10 for 10 before you move on to harder criteria. So until you see that like 10 out of 10 times, you've got Ripley come from 10 feet away in your house, then increase the distance. Because a lot of times we get it, we get excited when we see like, oh, she's coming right to me from 10 feet away. And we want to jump to 20 feet right away. Um, But that's when we can start seeing those little, you know, failures popping up here and there where they're they're blowing the recall because they weren't quite ready for that next step so it really is in the early stages it's about a lot of easy repetitions um absolutely and then of course the the benefit for me of having this two-part recall is in the real world once your dog is trained once they have a reliable recall it helps me to assess whether or not i even want to use my recall in a certain scenario Because if I say Ripley and I'm not able to get her to look at me, I'm not going to attempt my recall. And that, of course, is one of our kind of golden rules of recall is that you're not going to ask for it unless you're pretty sure that you're going to get it. Yep. So having it split up into two parts like that will show you whether or not... It helps you know. Yeah. It's like, how, how likely is she to come back to me if I can't even get her to look at me right now? And then if I can't get her to look at me, if she's on like a really good smell or something... I can move a little bit closer and try again without repeating my actual recall cue. So I might repeat her name, but not without changing something. 
not without mm. decreasing the distance between her and I. And then maybe at that point she'll look at me and then I can go ahead with my recall. So that's just a brief overview of how I, I like to that. do it. Reinforcement yeah. history matters more than anything else when it comes to recall, in my opinion. Um, because it doesn't matter what you have in the moment that you're recalling because your dog might not even know what you're offering them. The only way they're going to know is if you have the rich history of that and that's, what's going to draw them to you. And always with a one-to-one reinforcement ratio, like every single recall gets a reward every time for the life of your dog. So I want to point out that you're talking about this methodical proofing it in all these situations. So I'll bring up the three D's for everybody. Um, distance, duration, distraction. Mm -hmm. So distance seems to make a lot of sense to people with recall. Sometimes it's hard to know how far the dog is, but Mm -hmm. that's where a long line, you know, the length of can help. You can know, you know, about how far they are away based on that long line. Um, Or if you're out in the yard and you can measure it off, iPhones have a measure it app now. I don't know how accurate it is, but I use it all the time to guesstimate. Uh, wow. You know, how far something is, how many years. Because I'm a terrible estimator. <laughs> you know, I can't that. I don't know if that's 40 feet or 50 feet or 70 yeah. feet. I yeah. don't know. Who the heck knows? So, I mean, again, I'm not checking it to know if it's accurate, but it gives me something to go off of. But I also like if I know they're dragging a 30 foot long line. Yeah. I can gauge it by that. That's um, true. That's so a good idea. Just, Distance makes a lot of sense to people. Does duration affect recall in your experience? Is Would it be duration of how long they've had to get distracted? Would it be duration of how long they've gotten to play? Or is it not really involved in recall? So like how are we going to proof for duration with our recall? The, yeah. Is okay, that one so of the D's we should approach? I think it is. Um for how long your dog's going to stay with you after you recall them. Ah, That is how I would approach duration with recall. And I build duration in my recall um, just by rapid fire reinforcing. After my Mm -hmm. dog comes to me, if I need them to stay with me, I'm wanting them to stay because, you know, you're recalling them, you're taking them away from time in their busy schedule, whatever they're doing, (laughs) you're (laughs) you're taking them away from that to recall to you. So I think if we're going to think about duration, we do have to think about the fact that we've just taken them off of something they were already doing. So we need to build value in them sticking with us for whatever length of time we're going to expect them to do that. So it's just going to be a matter of, you know, Ripley come, she comes running, you're feeding her treats, you're feeding her another treat, you're feeding her another treat, you're feeding her another treat. And then, okay, go or free, whatever your release word is. So that, that would be where I would think about uh, duration with my recall would just be the time that they, that they're hanging around you after they, they recall. I love that because that also makes it more meaningful for safety reasons. Like yeah, if true. they're running and you're trying to actually, we call it in my recall class, a capture. If you're trying to actually be able to capture them, mm-hmm. they need to not just ping pong, as we say, where they, they, they came to you and then they're no, gone they're like, again. Hey, bye. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yep, I did it. It's and definitely... I'm going to celebrate by running around now. Yeah, so. Exactly. It, it's definitely a habit that um, we can unknowingly create is a dog that just, you know, comes and snatches the treat and books it away from you before you even have the chance to do anything. So it's kind of one of those things you have to be intentional with to, 
you know, I'm recalling you and I expect you to kind of hang around here for at least a couple seconds. And it's pretty easy to do that because you just feed a couple treats one by one. And then you've got a dog that comes to you and takes a treat and then they're like, wait, is there another one though? And in that window, you have opportunity to catch them if it's an emergency or or whatever you need to do with them. We're going to take a quick break. Make sure to find Holly on Instagram. She's at five freedoms training. I've put a link in the show notes. She has lots of awesome videos about dogs and cats and hedgehogs and horses and so many great force free training tips. We'll be right back. And while we're on that topic, just briefly, I also will work in like a collar grab, uh, which I usually try to start with like collar scritches, you know, okay. it's like, yeah, yeah, that you makes a sense. treat with one hand and I'm scritching you, yeah. uh, you know, I don't want you to reach down and like grab your dog's collar yeah, for sure. like you would if you were panicking, um, when you're trying to train it. So, you know, I just started with like, Hey, sometimes when you come, I might scratch your neck and touch your collar. It's not weird. Don't try to run away, you know, kind of thing, just to make it more normal. Um, as you know, again, trying to think about when you might need it in an emergency. And then our third D is super important for recall distractions. And I think it's where a lot of people miss one. Every dog's distraction level is different. Like Mm -hmm. today in class, there was a crow that was like hanging out and I was like, Oh, one of these dogs is going to bolt for that crow. I know it. And none of them did. I was super impressed. Wow. But I was ready because I was like, you guys have to understand that like something that flees and moves quickly is not the same as something that holds still. And a smell is not the same as a dog bark. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. these things have value to your dog and they rank them and you have no say in that. Yeah, that's true. And honestly, they don't even have a say either. Oh, it's a great way to put it. Yeah. You know, they either find it exciting interesting reinforcing or they don't and they they don't they don't have a lot of control over that for sure yeah so you've got to think about these things and if you're in a high distraction environment or there's one distraction but it's super distracting it's squirrels and your dog loves squirrels or lizards or whatever Mm -hmm. uh you know don't add distance to the situation uh you got to work smart when you're proofing this. Yeah, absolutely. When our dog is off leash or even on a long leash, they have quite a bit of freedom to experience so many different things. And there are so many different things that they can encounter that we're not going to have a lot of control over. And so it is really important to proof for as many distractions as you can possibly think of when we're talking about recall, because we're expecting our dog to choose us over what they're already interested in over what is going to naturally be drawing their attention. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, I don't know if people just realize how big an ask it is. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah, for sure. We have to work up to those big asks too. Yeah. So other than just under training, because a lot of times when people say, oh, my dog is stubborn, they know what to do, they're just not doing it. What we're actually seeing is just under training. Like we're saying, Mm -hmm. you haven't worked this enough. You haven't reinforced it enough in this context Mm -hmm. from this distance, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, they're not being stubborn. They're under trained. Other than under training, which is a super common mistake people make with recall, what are some other common mistakes people make with recall? Using recall when you're not positive that you're going to be successful, like when you're pretty sure that you're you're not going to get it, just don't use it because every time your dog can rehearse 
running away or not responding to the cue. They're just, they're getting better at that behavior. And that's certainly not what you want. Um, I know a lot of people only recall for bad news. It's time to Mm. come home from the park. It's time to go in the car and maybe you don't like going in the car. It's time to go in the tub or whatever. It's time to go back in the house. That's a big one too. I mean, I know a lot of dogs uh, that will recall, but they won't recall back to the house. Like they'll recall in lots of different other scenarios, but it's just because you haven't built enough value um, in coming back in the house and they're out in the yard having a party and then you're recalling them to bad news. So that, that's a big one. When you recall for bad news, you're essentially punishing the recall behavior, Mm. which is going to decrease it. Yeah. So do you know another way that people sometimes accidentally punish the recall behavior? Uh, they pat or pet the dog when they come. Yeah, and the dogs, dogs like that. The dog's not into that. And they're like, thanks, but no thanks, yeah. and I will not be doing this again. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah, so to you, you're like, oh, good job, you're doing this. But, like, there are some dogs that are just like, I don't want that. Yeah. I, don't, I don't like that. I'm not into that. And then now they have this competing feeling where they're like, if I go over there, I'll get a treat, but they're also going to pat me on yeah. the head. Ugh. It's true. And we, we have to watch what is happening to our recall over time to see if our reinforcement is actually reinforcing. Um, yeah. And if it's not, that's when we need to have a careful assessment of, okay, what happens before I recall my dog? What happens during what happens after and what, what is yep. uh, contributing to the deterioration of this behavior? If that's what you're dealing with um, yeah. more mistakes, not utilizing management enough or, graduating from management before your dog's ready, like upping your criteria before the animal's ready. Um, that's, that's a pretty huge one. We all want to be off leash. We all want to be off the long line. I totally understand that, but it doesn't do anybody any good to do it prematurely. Um, your dog still yeah. has so much freedom on the long line and it's just the best way to practice things like recall because they're not, I think some people think that their dog is only going to recall on the long line because they know they're on the long line. And that's not necessarily true at all. I know dogs that run around on long lines, like the long line doesn't even exist. (laughs) Yeah. It's not quite, it's not quite the same as a leash. So, um, one other mistake I find that is maybe controversial to call it a mistake, but putting quantity over quality. So like too much practice And Mm. what I mean by that is every time you recall your dog, you're interrupting something that they were doing. And if you do that too often, you can really affect the value of your recall for your dog. So like if you're, if you've graduated all the way up to your dog can play with other dogs and you can recall them off of that little play pile, don't do that like 10 times in one visit because- right. For no reason. Yeah, there's not really, like, it's, okay, have some practice, but really you can overdo it. Um, Even if you're using, like, high-value treats, I hope you're using high-value treats. But at some point, like, your dog's going to get full. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? Like, there's, the reinforcement isn't going to be reinforcing for too long. Like, at some point, they're going to be satiated, and and that's going to be enough. So, I find it's a mistake uh, to practice too much. The novelty can kind of wear off a little bit. So you really want to go for the quality of practice over the quantity. And I just want to point out a nuance here because 
there's two pieces of advice coming out that sound uh, like they're at odds with each other. And one is like, don't only call your dog at the end when it's over, Mm -hmm. when you're going to leave, but then don't call them a bunch of times either. Because one piece of advice I'll give, especially for dogs that won't come in from the yard, uh, other than have them wear a long line in the yard, you know, so they can't rehearse it, is call call them in, give them a treat, send them right back to their fun. Mm -hmm. So that not every time they get called, it ends the fun. So there's that nuance there of that middle ground. Yeah, absolutely. Right? We, we do need to be practicing. Um, but especially if your dog is in a scenario where it is a little more challenging for them, I find it's better to have a few good reps than like a whole bunch. And what about for dogs that really don't care about your treats? It doesn't matter what you have. They're just not interested in it. What can we use instead to teach them recall? I actually recently went through um, a recall challenge with my one dog, Ripley, when she started. Like her prey drive just went nuts. She's always had a very strong prey drive, but she's going through adolescence too. So it's all of a sudden it seemed like overnight, as it often happens with adolescents. She was just like... I want to eat all the things <laughs> like Aww. nothing you have is worth more than chasing small creatures through the forest. So um, we had to switch to rewarding with a chase of the tug because it didn't matter what I had. Um, nothing was better than her like chasing a partridge or chasing a chipmunk. And so it was challenging because for her, just because I brought the tug toy with me doesn't mean that when I recall her, she's aware that we're going to play with the tug toy. So it was like building a reinforcement history all over again. So we went right back to square one with our recall. And by the time we had kind of graduated to like a long line outside down my trail, um, she understood that when I recalled her, the reward was going to be a really intense chase session, but chunks of chicken or ham or whatever I was using it just it wasn't able to compete with what she wanted and it's good to mention that you know behavior is always changing so Mm -hmm. we're gonna say I did it I'm done with recall because yeah you know this especially let's say you move somewhere else and you know that much of the environment changes or they hit a different age group like adolescents and I mean there's a Mm -hmm. lot of things that can mean that you might be feel like you're starting from scratch again. And if not, you still got to maintain these. uh, Even if no big change happens, it's not just check. I'm done. I never have to. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm always keeping track of the latency with my dogs. And as soon as I see any latency, I tend to just snap the long line back on and um, go from there. And it might only be one walk that we're on the long line for me to kind of recharge it a little bit you know um but for me it's maintaining it is as important as training it in the first place what do you do if your recall fails i do i've i have a a training plan in place and i also have something that helps me like right in that emergency situation so um if my dog is like in the middle of completely blowing their recall i will run the opposite direction from them and put on like my party time voice (laughs) Just to try and be uh, a little more interesting than whatever has their attention. That's just my in-the-moment plan to capture my dog 
after they've just blown a recall. That's not like a long-term strategy. That's just me trying to utilize a little bit of FOMO, like fear of missing out to be like, oh my God, what's over here? Haji Ripley, come with me. Like that kind of thing. Um, you look and sound like an idiot when you do it, but it's it does work. <laughs> I have had it work in uh, very pressing situations. So that that's what I do in the immediate. But then... It's also contrary to what your gut tells you to do, which is to chase yeah, your dog. Chase your, chase your dog or change your tone of voice to be a little bit more stern or, or whatever. And that's, in most situations, that's just not going to help you. I have had to record clients because they were doing their recall in what they thought was their happy voice, but it definitely mm-hmm. sounded like a you're in trouble voice. Mm-hmm. That's a mistake I think a lot of us make. We didn't list it under the mistakes, but... Um, being like, come here, come here. Yeah, like they're yeah, in trouble. Sure. Cause we said, you know, don't call them for something that's going to punish them. But even it, the ones that are not intending to, sometimes that's what you're the vibe you're given off. Yeah. Your dog is definitely intimidated and a little worried about coming into your immediate proximity. Definitely. That aside now, what to do if recall fails um, in the moment, if it's not an emergency and it wasn't a super heated, you're just like, wow, my dog completely just didn't listen to me there. Try not to get offended or upset. I know it's hard. I've been there. You've put in a lot of training. You have no idea why they blew it off. It seemed like it was for something so trivial. Um, but getting offended or upset in that moment, it just, it doesn't serve anyone. So try and stay away from that. Go back to management until you're confident you have your 10 out of 10 recall again. And you're never going to regret going back and doing this process again. And usually um, for a dog that already had a solid recall trained, this process isn't going to take as long as it did the first time you taught it. Trust the process. Go back a step, put the long line back on, train again from there, build your positive associations. But it's a big mistake to say, they know this. They know this. They know better. Maybe they know better, maybe they know the cue, but they're not sufficiently motivated. And it's up to us to provide that motivation for them. Thank you, Holly, for joining me today. My biggest takeaways from this conversation are, one, train with minimal errors. Only ask for recall when you're pretty sure you can get it. Two, use management like a long line. Three, be methodical in how you train. Add distance, duration, and distraction purposefully, and make sure your dog is really reliable in each set of conditions before you move on to harder ones. Four, practice a lot. You can't overtrain recall. Lots of easy, successful reps will give your dog a strong reinforcement history for the behavior. And five, find out what motivates your dog, because it might not be treats, it might be something else. Thank you for stopping by the dojo to learn with me this week. This is your aspiring sensei, Susan Light, signing off. You can find me at doggydojopodcast.com. I'm Susan Light LA on Instagram, Pinterest, and Facebook. The music was written by Mac Light. You can find him at maclightsongwriter.com. If you like the show, you can support it by subscribing, sharing it with your friends, rating it, and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts. I'll be back in two weeks with another new episode of the Doggy Dojo.